Welcome to issue 31 of The Two-Butt Rule. Solon, father of butts. Big news. Book is done. The manuscript for The Two-Butt Rule is complete and going into its long process of sanding, polishing, production, audio recording, marketing, and distribution on Monday, hitting the shelves in January. I want to thank our amazing editorial team and design team. I'm tempted to name names, but didn't get the all clear to do so before this issue went live, so stay tuned for that. Now back to our regularly scheduled programming. The Dubot Rule clearly has uses in finding solutions to political and social conflict, and I thought it was high time that we tackled such a case. But I looked at the war in Ukraine, the conflict over the U.S. elections, Brexit, the Arab Spring, the troubles in Ireland, the partition of India and Pakistan, World War II, World War I, even the French Revolution. But every topic I considered was likely to focus stakeholders on the deficiencies of my research rather than considering how they might apply momentum thinking to current conflicts. But it struck me that there might be a case from so long ago that the combatants are long dead and their direct connection to anyone's current interests long forgotten. But I'm not a PhD in ancient history. But it happens that my best college friend from UC Berkeley, Dr. Dwayne March, has a PhD in ancient history and Mediterranean archaeology. It's a degree, I should add, that typically involves at least six years of postgraduate study and proficiency in two ancient languages to acquire. So I looked him up and gave him a tough assignment. Find a story about a conflict that was, or could have been, resolved in a superior way by stakeholders using momentum thinking, the two-butt rule, to figure out their differences. I added the extra challenge that the story needed to be clearly relatable to conflicts we are grappling with today. He didn't disappoint. The story he told comes from Athens, the widely held birthplace of democracy. Around 600 BCE, Athens was in the middle of a crisis. Faith in legal and political institutions was at an all-time low. Society was divided into self-interested groups with little trust and a lot of animosity between them. Armed conflict was a real possibility. Sound familiar? There were four main stakeholders involved at the time. There were the Eupatrids. They were the old traditional families of Attica, the region surrounding Athens. In 600 BCE, they were the only ones who could occupy state offices or serve as judges. They were, by all accounts, clannish and tended to favor their own in disputes with other members of society. They held a lot of land and maintained a patron-client relationship with their lower-status neighbors, often trading services for protection. Effectively, this meant that Athens in 600 BC was run as something between an aristocracy and a mafia state. Then there were poor farmers who subsisted off the land and their labor. They had to borrow seed from wealthier farmers using their land and bodies as collateral. They were frequently subject to bad harvests that could leave them in debt, and if they couldn't pay off those debts, they would be sold into slavery. They had no political power. Hoplites made up much of the military class. They were typically farmers who did well enough to afford weapons and armor. Even though they formed the bulk of the Athenian infantry, they had almost no political power, and bad luck with harvests could land them in the same cycle of debt and slavery as the farmers. Then there were the merchant class, who engaged in commerce and flourished all over the Mediterranean. They were wealthy enough to buy weapons and armor, like the hoplites, and some could afford horses and serve in the Athenian cavalry. In spite of their growing economic and military significance, they couldn't hold office, and had little influence over state policies, even the ones that directly impacted mercantile production and trade. In 632, an Athenian aristocrat named Cylon appealed to the hoplites to back him as absolute monarch, a tyrannos, a tyrant. He seized the Acropolis and nearly succeeded in gaining control over Athens, but in the end he failed to gather enough support and was forced to flee. But now the Eupatrids could see how a tyrant could rise if things got bad enough for the hoplites, and they saw it happen in other surrounding cities, including Corinth, Samos, Naxos, Megara, and others. By 595 BCE, everyone knew something had to change. Yeah, that's 37 years after the Cylon uprising, but hey, they didn't have iPhones and things moved at a different pace. The Eupatrids didn't want to see another tyrant rise, but they wanted to retain their political influence, their social privileges, and their wealth. The merchant class wanted the same privileges as the Eupatrids, particularly to counter their monopoly and legal disputes, but the Eupatrids obviously didn't want to share power. 
Both hoplites and the remainder of the poor farmers wanted debt relief, freedom from the threat of slavery, and an equal playing field in legal disputes. But obviously this was seen by the other stakeholders as a zero-sum game that could only be solved by losing relative power and privilege. They were at an impasse. But because of the threat of descending into tyranny, which virtually nobody wanted, they struck a grand bargain and agreed to abide by the decrees of a single person. In 594 BC, they elected Solon as Archon, the leading executive of the state in charge of making new laws. He was a Eupatrid, which was necessary to become Archon, but because of this, he could have been seen as a political insider and rejected by the other stakeholders. But he garnered wide support and trust because he came from a less powerful family and had distinguished himself as a just and fair leader. Solon's new laws forbade the enslavement of Athenian citizens as payment for debt, and he had the state buy the freedom of already enslaved citizens. He abolished all current debt and relieved all property from current mortgages. He even wrote a poem about it. The mortgage stones that covered the land were removed by me. The land that was slave is free. Presumably, he was a better leader than a poet. Full disclosure, uh, Dr. Marsh points out that Solon was considered to be a great poet, but at least in translation, he's no Maya Angelou. Solon also created a citizen assembly that admitted even the poorest Athenians. The assembly could elect officials, hear debate on issues, and approve laws. He established a court in which all citizens qualified as jurors and divided the population into four classes based solely on wealth. This might not seem like a terrific option to modernize, but it was a big deal then. And while he was at it, he standardized weights and measures, which helped protect everyone from cheating. Not a bad start. But the Eupatrids were still not happy about wealthy merchants rising in status and gaining access to political offices. But because they were all very wealthy, Eupatrids still maintained a virtual monopoly on ultimate power. And this arrangement gave the merchants enough hope of turning their growing wealth into political power to prevent them from backing a tyrant. The Hoplites still wanted to weaken the Eupatrids and become war leaders, but the other groups feared that that could lead to a military coup. But Hoplites could now serve in many offices, and their lands were free of mortgages. They could now have direct influence on the assembly. They could also protect their interests in the new citizen court. Poor farmers still wanted Eupatrid lands broken up and distributed to the people, but that was never going to happen, so long as the aristocracy and other groups remained. That decision would have led to civil war. But Solon wiped out their debts, freed poor farmers from mortgages, and gave everyone direct influence on state business through the assembly and the new citizen court. Solon's law wasn't the kind of lazy compromise we see even to this day in political gamesmanship. He literally changed the game. While many of the butts Solon handled are lost to history, he left more bad poetry that establishes him as one of the great buttheads of antiquity. Quote, Such power I gave the people as was right. I took nothing away and gave in addition. Those that possessed great wealth and high station, my counsel protected from disgrace. Before both sides I held my mighty shield and allowed neither to infringe the rights of the other. In a masterful application of the two-butt rule, Solon recognized that his laws were not universally popular and there was a risk of them being eroded or rescinded. But Athenians had sworn to uphold the law unless he himself changed it. So after the new laws were approved, Solon got his butt out of there and left Athens for a 10-year trip around the known world so that he couldn't be induced to make changes. That maneuver was such a brilliant application of the two-butt rule that it might warrant naming Solon Father of Butts. And we can leave that decision for the soon-to-be-established butthead assembly. But, yeah, this was not the end of the butts. Sadly, Athenian infighting didn't end. Humans, once they go tribal, have very stubborn butts, and in the coming years, they failed to elect a chief archon four times. The lack of an archon, by the way, was called anarchy. Then, in 546 BCE, the Eupatrid named Pisistratus seized power in a military coup. He and his sons ruled as tyrants for the next 36 years. But, while the very thing everyone was trying to avoid, a tyrannical dictatorship, wound up happening, a funny thing happened on the way to the Forum. Old people and fans of Sondheim musicals will get this joke. If you're neither, look it up. 
It turns out that Pisistratus was a big fan of Solon. Some sources suggest they might have been lovers. So, in spite of establishing a military dictatorship, he largely upheld Solon's laws. In time, his laws led to the formation of the democratic institutions Athens is credited with today. Was conflict avoided? No. Was the march to Athenian democracy interrupted by infighting, anarchy, and dictatorship? Yes. But the steps Solon took to balance the many butts of Athenian society in his time led to a flourishing of democracy later. This concludes issue number 31 of The Two-Butt Rule, Solon, Father of Butts, by John Wolpert, Ashley Waters, and special guest star, Dr. Dwayne March. If you liked this episode, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts, and consider taking out a subscription at twobutts.com. That's number two, B-U-T-S.com.